Good morning. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. We're in Matthew 23. Matthew 23. Verse 37. This is Jesus speaking. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I just uh, pray, Lord God, in thanks for your word, Lord. God, I just thank you for your heart towards us, God. And I just pray this morning, Lord God, that you will teach us more about that heart, your heart towards us, the way that you view us, Lord God, the way that uh, uh, we are supposed to Uh, worship you, Lord God. We can't worship you, Lord, unless we know you, Father. And we come here this morning uh, to get to know you more. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please be seated. We're going through the book of Matthew chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And Jesus here is at the end of uh, chapter 23. Uh, it, it, here at the end, end of chapter 23, is, uh, but a few days uh, from dying on uh, the cross. And so the words that we're uh, reading here this morning are amongst the last uh, words that Jesus uttered uh, during his life on earth. And over the last couple months, as I've been teaching through uh, chapters 21 through 23, I've just been real cognizant of that fact. Uh, as I'm preparing for these messages, that these are amongst the last words of Jesus, and he's, he's uh, soon to go to the cross. And, you know, I think it's safe to say that some of the most powerful words ever to come from the lips of men and women have been uttered during the last uh, few days uh, of their lives. And, uh, you know, people... We hear someone, some, something that someone says on their deathbed and it perks our ears up. And we really want to know uh, and sort of cling to every word that they say. And so how much more the, the words of Jesus uh, during his last couple of days. And we notice this morning uh, that he's uh, these last words uh, that he's uttering. This is last public words really here in verses 37 through 39. He's, he's pleading with them. He sort of leaves the scene, pleading with men and pleading with women to come to him. Uh, chapter 23 is his last uh, plea. And he pleads with them uh, uh, with terrible words of, of judgment, almost as if to shock them from their steadfast stubbornness. 
these people have sort of locked themselves in into a stubborn rejection of God. And so in the most severe kind of way, uh, Jesus is declaring this, a message of judgment in this chapter. Uh, consider, as we've read, verse 15 of the same chapter, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! For you travel land and sea to win a single convert, but when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. And then verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! You're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Verse 33 uh, uh, says, Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? And so uh, you say that, you know, you may say that that doesn't really sound like uh, someone who is pleading uh, with people to come to him. It doesn't really sound like someone who has a heart for these people. Uh, that sounds like someone who longs to see the people roasting uh, in hell or something. Uh, but uh, we need to, to read it, uh, as we've said, with read those words with the last few verses of the chapter, uh, which we've read this morning. God, Listen, God will deliver a message of judgment as a final last measure in hope of keeping someone from slipping away into eternity without him. And so as we discussed a couple weeks ago, as we're discussing this chapter, uh, 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 the prophet Jonah, this is what happened. Why don't you turn with me uh, to the book of Jonah? It's... Uh, if you go to the Ezekiel and Daniel, it's a few chapters uh, to the right, the book of Jonah. And if you turn with me to, um, if you turn with me to chapter three of the book of Jonah, it's right after Obadiah. But anyway, uh, Jonah was called by God to the city of Nineveh, which was one of the most wicked. Uh, populations of people who ever lived, and they were so bloodthirsty, the Ninevites and the Assyrians, uh, they used to conquer cities, and they used to take people, and they used to impale them, if you don't know what that means, uh, good for you, uh, they used to f uh, skin them alive, uh, and they used to pile up their heads, and, and most uh, societies, they try to cover up their barbaric acts, but the Ninevites actually used to, to brag about them, and, uh, and uh, the city had so little knowledge of God that it says in the very last verse of the book of Jonah, it says that the uh, people of Nineveh did, could not tell their right hand from their left, meaning they didn't know the difference between right and wrong. And let me tell you, the most dangerous person in the world is someone who does not know the difference between right and wrong. That will lead to the worst and most barbaric forms of cruelty, and that's what happened with the Ninevites. And so uh, this was the nation that God sent Jonah to. You know, and we think we have a tough crowd in Boston. Consider the Ninevites. And so the Lord asked the prophet Jonah to go to the city and cry out against their wickedness. In other words, God was asking Jonah to give uh, a message similar to what we just heard Jesus teach in Matthew 23. And, and what was that word? Again, specifically, we discussed it a couple of weeks ago. It was just seven or eight words. 
He went through the city of, Jonah, of Nineveh and he said, in 40 days, the Nineveh will be destroyed. That's, that's what it was. That's what his message was for that city. So when God came to Jonah and told him to go to Nineveh, what did he do? Well, he did what oftentimes we do when we first hear from God. He ran as far as he could in the opposite direction. And he tried to go to the most extreme corner of the world, Tarshish. It was like at the very end of the world. We think it's in modern day, scholars think it's in modern day Spain, Tarshish. And he set out to go there. Now, why did he not want to go to Nineveh? Well, it wasn't, believe it or not, it wasn't because he was scared of the people. I mean, they may have been skinning people and impaling them and cutting off their heads, but uh, it's pretty clear that that is not why he didn't want to go to uh, Nineveh. Actually, it says in verse 10 uh, why he, very specifically verse 10 of chapter 3, why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. What happened here is that eventually Jonah had gone to Nineveh. God turned him around, as you know, and he went back and he went into the city, gave his message of judgment. They repented and turned to God and God had mercy on them. Verse 10 says, Then God saw their works that, that, God, that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And so, you know, this guy, even though his message was, in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed, he knew what was going to happen, or he knew at least what could happen. These people who he so, he so hated, he so much wanted to see them destroyed, and he, he, he wanted to keep away a message of judgment from them in fear that they would repent. And that's exactly what happened. And, um, and, uh, and, and, and they wound up turning um, um, to God, away from, uh, from their sin. Listen, you will not find a single example in all of the Bible, of God refusing mercy to someone who is genuinely turning away from evil to him. There's not a single example in, in all the Bible uh, of something like that happening. It's a pretty thick book. Never once do you see even any reluctance on God's part. Oh, you know, should I forgive him, you know? I really don't know, you know. Well, some of us have a skewed, unbiblical view of God that, it, that He's reluctant and hesitant to forgive. Never, ever, ever. He's ever and always ready to uh, forgive. Consider our verse back in Matthew 23. If you can turn back with me now to Matthew 23, verse 37. It's, what does it say? It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather you, your children together as a hen gathers her chicks. How often. 
Now remember, Jesus is talking to the same people who he had just delivered those terrible words of judgment to. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? He had just told them. And and here his heart is just pouring out, oh, how God wants to save men and women. He also wants to forgive. 1 Timothy 2, verse 4 says this, God desires that all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Not some men, not a few of just of the elect or whatever. He wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23, it says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but only that the wicked would turn from their ways and live. We may take pleasure in the death of the wicked. God does not. God is ready to forgive, which, by the way, is an actual Bible verse. Psalm 86, verse 5. It says, For you, O God, are ready to forgive. God is always ready to forgive. Consider the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. He gets bored with his family. He goes to his father and he says, you know, uh, he says to his father and asks for his inheritance and he actually gets it. And that's one of the most gracious fathers I've ever seen. I mean, I can't imagine if one of my kids came to me and said, you know, Hey, Dad, I, you know, I love you and all that, but uh, hey, could I have my money now? You know? <laughs> I, I don't know what I would be saying, but, but in this case, in my case, that would only be 20% of my money. In, in the case of, of, of the pro- prodigal son, it, he was getting 50%. And the dad actually gives it to him. And what does he do? He goes away. Uh, he gets his inheritance before his dad even dies. He gets 50% of his dad's money, and, and he goes and blows it all. Now, you know, it's one thing to go blow it all on, on maybe something like an investment, you know, a, a fast food lamb burger chain or whatever, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you know a, a drive through and all, whatever. And, but no, he, he, he blew it on, the Bible says, wasteful living. What does that mean? Wine, women, and very expensive, very fast camels, you know. That's what he, that's what he wasted it all on. And, and he just blew it, 50% of his father's money. And so what happened? Every single penny lost. He, he, and then it, it, he, what happens? He's looking at the pig slop. When I was a kid, we actually used to have a pig. And it was really easy to feed. You just got all the garbage and you, and you threw it to the pig. And they grow and grow and grow. And then, you know, eventually you, you kill them and eat them. But uh, anyway, uh, that's the, the, uh, the, uh, the, he was eyeing pig slop. He said, oh, man, I, if I could only have that. And, 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 uh, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he says, wait a second, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? At least I, I might as well just go back to my dad and, and, and plead for mercy. The worst that could happen is he could hire me as one of his servants. And so when he goes back, he, he travels back. He was a long way off. He travels back. back and it says, it says there uh, in Luke chapter 15, it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. So his father saw him because his father was looking for him before he saw his father. 
And what does it say his father, his father did? Oh, here comes that. Fifty percent of my money, he's blown it. He better come crawling back on his knees to my door. Did he say that? No, it says he ran to him. And he fell on his neck. God is ready to forgive. That the, the prodigal son, the father, is a representation of God. He is ready, ready to forgive. And so, uh, you know, we read this uh, throughout the word of God, uh, that he is ready to forgive. Actually, even much more so than that. If you're taking notes, write down Psalm 99, verse 8, where God is actually called Jehovah, or God El, which in Hebrew is short for, for God's, um, Jehovah, the God who forgives, El Nassau. Nassau meaning forgive, El meaning God. He's called the God who forgives. Thinking of uh, someone walking down a street and seeing a house with a big sign on it that says, Bob, the man who forgives, you know? I mean, wouldn't that be like, Really cool to like go and meet that guy. I mean, you know, but, but that's, that, that is what God's name is. And he has chosen to post that name over his house. I am Jehovah, the God who forgives. He is ever ready to forgive. Forgiveness is his name. You know, my name's Steve. Your name is uh, Jim, Sue, Michael, whatever. God's name is, I am the one who forgives. That's his name. So back to Matthew uh, 23, verse uh, 37. Uh, there's two phrases in here I really want you to zero in on. Two phrases in, in Matthew uh, 23, verse 37, which I feel really stand out. Two phrases. One, the first, how often, this is the middle of the verse, how often, and the second is the last two words, not willing. How often and not willing. Now, have you ever seen a chick which was not willing to be gathered under its mother's wings? Anyone seen that, by the way? A chick that was not willing to be gathered under its uh, mother's wings. Or maybe, uh, like me, you have a small child. I still have two small uh, ch- children, Faith and Grace, who uh, you, you'll see them chase after some birds, some sparrows or something on the grass. And, and, and it, it, it's almost as if the birds are mocking the kids. As soon as they get close, they just jump about five feet away and they stay there. They, they run again, they jump about five feet away, and they, the b- girls run again, they jump about five feet away. And it's, just, it's almost like, again, the, the birds are, are sort of mocking them. And, and that is sort of the picture of a chick unwilling to be gathered under the wings of a hen, uh, skirting away each time the hen tries to gather the chick under her wing. And, 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 and so, of course, there's a big difference, though, between a child doing that with a bunch of sparrows and a mother hen doing it, uh, because a small child is just playing, whereas the mother hen is gathering her chicks. Why? Why? To keep them from danger. To keep them from danger. To keep them alive. To keep them from what? Birds of prey who could descend on them in an instant and carry them away. And so, you know, listen, I don't know the intimate details of many of your lives. But if you were like me, or if you've been like me, 
you had a number of times, maybe many times, where you took some pretty large steps away from God and into the world. Or if you were like me, they were more like jumps, calculated jumps away from God and into the world. For some of you, maybe that wasn't the case. Maybe it was baby steps, hundreds of them. Baby steps, just inching away from God. Far from God. You wind up in the same place, whether it's baby steps or large steps. Everyone you know, winds up in the same place. It's a place like the prodigal son found himself eating pig slop. A place of extreme misery, eating the fruit of whatever sin you've sown into your life. Now, whether you were taking big steps, here's my point, whether you're taking big steps or baby steps, big jumps or baby jumps, I can assure you, if you look back or think back very carefully to that season of your life, before each step, I assure you, you will recall warning signs there. And some of those signs, they weren't just little, you know, eensy-beensy signs that were covered up by a tree. I mean, these were warning signs. I, I, I mean, these, these, some of them were screaming at you, uh, saying, turn around, go back, go back to where you were. Some of them, like, you know, a giant's hen's uh, wing coming over your head. I mean, can you imagine that? It's like, whoa, look at this thing. I mean, it's kind of like an army rescue helicopter coming over you, you know. It's like, wow, this thing, these people really, I, someone really wants to save me, you know. But, but nevertheless, you, you had these times and you saw that, 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 that enormous wing or helicopter or whatever coming down. But anyway, you still skirted away. You still took the jump. I know that road so very well. So many jumps like that, and they were so calculated. I, I remember a time when, before I was a Christian when I was in a, just a very destructive relationship with a woman. And, you know, each, each sort of jump I took, it was like just jumping off the ledges of a cliff to a lower place on the cliff. And, and I mean, there were foghorns going off. There were huge signs with, with, you know, skulls and bones. There were planes overhead with carrying banners saying, no, you don't do that. You know, there's death at the bottom of this cliff. But, you know, I, I knew better. I knew better. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to over the years whose lives have been crushed by their sin and who, who speak of this very thing, warning signs all over the place. God was faithful to put up warning signs, first one, then another, then another, then another, 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 another. Was it say, how often I have longed to gather you? The picture is a mother hen trying to gather and prevent and protect. So two phrases, how often and not willing. Listen, you'll never be able to stand before the judgment seat of Christ 
and defend your rejection of him on the basis that you didn't have the opportunity to receive God. Never. The Bible says that God has spent a lifetime, your lifetime, trying to gather you under his wings, if you're not there already. You will never be able to defend your uh, rejection of God on the basis that God was not willing to take you. Never. The Bible teaches that there is only one reason anyone will ever spend eternity apart from Him, and that is because, what's that second phrase? They were not willing. How often? Not willing. You look at the way Jesus tried to gather Israel to Him. How often He tried to gather uh, them. He tried, he tried meekness. He tried gentleness. He tried tenderness. He tried kindness. Which the, you know, the Bible says the kindness of God leads men to repentance. In Matthew 11, verse 28, it, 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 Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Yet, like little chicks running away from the wings over their mother, they, they ran for cover. He tried righteousness. You know, righteousness really can attract people. It's an attractive thing. And boy, did Jesus try righteousness. At one point, he even asked his accusers, what sin can you prove to me, John chapter 8, that I'm guilty of? And, and they were unable to, to prove anything. And yet they still resisted that righteousness. He tried prophecy in John chapter 5. Um, he said, you search the scriptures because you believe they have the words of eternal life, but they testify of me. So he is bringing up prophecy. If, if nothing else, believe the prophecy. But they rejected that. He, he tried white-hot holiness. We've seen how he's come through the temple and he just wiped it clean of, of all the impurity that was there. He tried weeping in Luke 19 over Jerusalem. He was weeping over the city. Uh, he tried wisdom. Uh, he silenced the best lawyers in the country, but they uh, still walked away. And we see in Matthew 23, he, he tried the most severe words of judgment uh, uh, to, 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 to break up their hardened hearts. How will you escape the condemnation of hell, he said, you brood of vipers. They hardened their hearts all the more. And when all else failed, he tried signs and wonders. In John chapter 10, he pleaded with the people. He said, look, even if you don't believe my words, believe my miracles. This is God speaking. So in verse 37 of Matthew 23, Jesus says, How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So enough for a while about chicks who run away from their mother. I want to talk about chicks, young chicks, which willingly and cheerfully gather under their mother's wings. I want to talk about the, the scene that many of us are familiar with, not because we've seen it maybe in person, but we've seen it on a cartoon or on TV or whatever. Chicks just willingly just uh, filing in under their mother's wings. Why do they run there? Because they feel so safe there because they feel so safe there. Listen, the wisest person in the world is the person who realizes how dangerous the world is. 
and how safe it is under the covering of the wings of God. Let me read uh, to you what some of the wisest people who ever lived, what they wrote. Keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 17, verse 8. The children of men put their trust in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 36, verse 7. In the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed. Psalm 57, verse 1. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 63, verse 7. He shall cover you with his feathers. Under the shadow of his wings you shall take refuge. Psalm 91, verse 4. Boaz, one of the wisest men who ever lived, when he's commending Ruth for her dedication to Naomi, it says in Ruth chapter 2, verse 2, we'll let the Lord repay you your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. There's no place in the world as safe as under the wings of God. Now, if you don't think that it's a dangerous place living outside of the covering of the wings of God, I challenge you to go to the Internet and just do some research on mental illness. It's absolutely astounding in this country, the prevalence of mental illness. You know, I think of my life prior to Christ and and how unsafe I felt. I mean, my life was just dominated by fear. And, and, and I, 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 you know, every little pain that cropped up in my body, I, I, would, I would just immediately assume it was like some, uh, some illness that was going to lead to death. And I would, I would literally spend in my mind days, if not weeks, planning my funeral. It was so real. And, and, and I remember after 9-11, when there were a, a, a series after 9-11, and then there was also all this weirdness happening after, these threats of anthrax, I had someone call me at, at 3 in the morning telling me that he was sure he had been exposed to anthrax. And I had to spend like an hour or two with this guy in, in, in the middle of the night. He, this guy not living under the cover uh, of God's wings. And, and I'm reading um, uh, about avian flu in various parts of the world, that every little pain someone has, they rush to the hospital to, you know, to, to check out their symptoms. And, and, and you know, Leviticus 26, uh, I, sometimes I refer people to, is a description of a life outside the cover of the wings of God. Oh, yes, the life seems glorious for a season, all that freedom, but after a while, it says in Leviticus 26, it says at the sound of a shaking leaf, it, it will cause you to flee. You shall, flee, you shall flee as though fleeing from a sword, and you will fall though no one pursues. You shall stumble over one another as it were before a sword, but no one will pursue you. And then Deuteronomy 28 puts it like this. It says, your, your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. And, and Hebrews chapter 2 speaks of those who, um, who live in fear of death all their lifetime, they're subject to bondage because of their fear of death and, and any number of, of fears. Now, 
Is fear itself dangerous? No. So why is it dangerous to live outside uh, the covering of the wings of God? It's because what you do as a result of that fear. Because when your mind becomes dominated by fear and anxiety and and phobias, what happens? You will become like open feeding ground to the birds of prey. And that's why false religion and occult religion and aberrant theology is exploding today. People have become so vulnerable living outside the covering of the wings of God, uh, they have begun targets and victims of a very dangerous predator-like religion. You know, I was talking to, to Bob right before the message about, um, uh, uh, about the, uh, uh, the movie that just came out. Uh, what's it called again? What's that? Oh, yeah, the, the Da Vinci Code and how it sold something like you know, 30 million copies. And, and it, it, what it presents is a very, very dangerous alternative to Christianity, which people are accepting, which people are running after. It's, it's, it's almost like birds of prey devouring people. Now, we were talking about this can have a healthy effect, particularly for the body of Christ, because it gets them uh, studying, uh, uh, studying the, the, the Bible. But many who are outside the covering of their wings, they will just run at it. And then, you know, the bird, the birds of prey will just, just come and, and devour them. And, and the amazing part about it, so much of it is, is incredibly shallow. I mean, this thing where, you know, Da Vinci's Last Supper and, and, the, and the person next to Jesus has this long hair. Ooh, could that be Mary Magdalene? Maybe Jesus was, you know, sitting next to his future wife. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, this is nothing but rank speculation. But it, it's, it's what people are feeding after, and it's, what, it, it's how dangerous it is living outside the, the covering of, of God's wings. It's dangerous there. And the wisest person in the world is the one who realizes how dangerous it is living outside of that covering. It always, it always really scares me as a pastor to see people drift away from the body of Christ, to just to have them drift away in spite of all the warning signs. And the thing that scares me about it is what becomes very clear from talking with them is they've lost any kind of fear of how dangerous it is outside the body of Christ. Psalm 46 says, God, consider Psalm 46, which really describes how safe it is under the wings of God. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, even though mountains be carried into the sea, even though waters roar and be troubled, and the mountains shake with its swelling. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He leads me by still waters and restores my soul. Philippians chapter 4, the peace that passes understanding is ours under the covering of God's wings. The the, the smartest, wisest person in the world is the one who realizes how dangerous it is outside of the covering of God's wings and how safe it is under them. Nothing feels more secure than a small chick under the wings of its mother. The warmth of the mother's breast or bosom, 
the security of feeling her strong heart beating, the pulse of her heart, the feeling of protection, the knowing eyes that are ever watching on its behalf. Psalm 121 uh, says this, I will lift my eyes to the hills. Who does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who never slumbers or sleeps. I do have a promise this morning that's not my promise. It's the promise of God. It comes from His Word and it's made repeatedly throughout Scripture. It's this. If you draw close to God, if you draw into His Word, into prayer, into fellowship with the body of Christ, over time, you will feel the warmth of His bosom. You will hear the strong beating of His heart, the pulse of the living God, you will know his eyes are ever watching. And your fears will vanish. Your fears fears will go as you learn to live under the shadow of his wings. I'm so thankful that God has released me from fear that once just dominated my life, that was used to be as much a, a part of my life as my my hair or my shoes, or whatever. And, and how it's just, it vanished as I've come up underneath the covering of God's wing. One of my favorite verses, a very familiar one, 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of what? A sound mind. The, a sound mind. How much can someone pay for a sound mind? I think of the billions of dollars that people uh, pay every year in their quest for a sound mind, and yet the Bible says it's free. God's opening up his wings, and for free, uh, we can enter in. If you're here this morning and you've never, by faith, entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, in other words, you've never, by faith, just said, okay, God, I see the warning signs. I'm going underneath the, the, the shadow of your wind, wings. Let me, let me end with this plea for, to you here. It says, uh, as we conclude, it says in verse 38 of Matthew 23. Again, Jesus says, How often I wanted to gather you as chicks, uh, children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Verse 38 says, see, your house is left to you desolate. And what, what he's saying there is, you have this temple, this house, this temple, this religion, but it's empty. There's nothing there. There's nothing of value. There's nothing that will last. And some translations don't even have the word desolate there. It says, see, you have, uh, your house is left to you. In other words, that's all you have is this, a, a bunch of stones piled up on one another. And he's going to go on in chapter 24 saying, they're all going to be, all the stones are going to be, you know, torn down. Not one will be left uh, on top of another. He says, all you have is, you know, is this house. And then he goes on in verse 39. He says, for I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so what's that, what that is talking about is 
you know, Jesus is going to come again. He promises in a very specific way that when he comes again, uh, people will acknowledge him for, for who he is. It says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess who he really is. He's Lord. But unfortunately, at that time, it's going to be a message of judgment. That's the problem. And so my plea for you this morning is, just like Jesus' plea is here, is don't let the time when you finally say, blessed be the name of the Lord, or yet Jesus is Lord, be the time when he comes in judgment. Let it be now when he's trying to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Okay, let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word and... Uh, We thank you, God, for being so faithful to us, Lord. Being so faithful to us, Lord, to put up those warning signs, those arrows pointing to you, Lord God, those those foghorns, those banners that you, you, you... Put in front of us, Lord God, every step of the way as, as we, you know, if we're walking away from you, Lord God. And, and God, we pray for wisdom. And I pray for wisdom for every single person in this room, Lord. Every man and woman, boy and girl, Lord, who's gathered here this morning for wisdom, Lord, of just how dangerous it is outside of the covering of your wings, Lord. And and what a place of security it is. What a place of warmth. What a place of protection. What a place of joy. Your word says, I rejoice in the shadow of your wings. Uh, What a place of, of just of wisdom it is under your wings, under your covering, Lord. I pray for that wisdom for every one of us here this morning, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, God bless you. You are dismissed. If you need prayer, please come up.